Unpopular opinion, but unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. You're listening to Unpopular Opinion, a podcast for professionals from all walks of life who want to hear success stories from innovators who've won by taking the path less traveled. In each episode, recovering journalist and content marketer Ashley Amber Saba interviews individuals who have prospered thanks to their genuinely unpopular opinions, despite warnings from naysayers, threats to their careers, and colossal obstacles. All rebels are welcome. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Ashley Ambrosava, and this episode is brought to you by my friends at AudienceOps. AudienceOps is a content marketing agency, and they produce every episode of my show. If you're looking to launch a podcast for your brand, please connect with me and I will hook you up. Today, I'm joined by Brian Grover. Brian is a marketing consultant and content creator, helping B2B brands sound more human. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to have you on. Um, and as far as your unpopular opinion goes, when it comes to creativity, you believe it's not about coming up with new ideas, but combining old ones in a way that no one has thought of before. Mm-hmm. Can you share any personal experiences or influences that help shape that viewpoint? Or can you just help me walk through that perspective? Sure. So, you know, unlike you read all of these biographies of famous writers and they're like, I was writing, you know, before I could walk. And I always felt kind of stuck behind in in that this perfectionism with creating art when I was younger was was like crippling. So writing, drawing anything, it had to be perfect. So that was that was the viewpoint I had on creativity is it has to be a hundred percent original and it has to be completely like it has to be completely never been seen before. It's like the scene in Garden State with Natalie Portman doing weird poses because she wanted to feel unique. Um, <laughs> I just real I just revealed that I'm an emo kid, so sorry about that. Um, <laughs> but we all went I, through it. Oh yeah, for sure. Still going through it, and it's that's fine. I could do another fifty years of this. Um, so, you know, creativity in that way. It, kind of was cemented into my idea of if I create something, then it needs to be perfect and new and original. But as I started reading more and more, and I got heavy into mythology in high school, and all of these stories, like the monomyth by Joseph Campbell, uh, the hero of a thousand faces, and I started realizing that all of these stories have been told before, like Star Wars is the monomyth sort of thing it's not new it's just a proven structure that works so it's really about combining two ideas um and then i just keep coming across it time and again in like but like now that i've kind of changed this viewpoint i come across it uh hemingway and fitzgerald everybody's like they came up with these radically original novels no they kind of just wrote down their own experiences that they actually lived and then they put their spin on it which was you know their their spin was language but it wasn't anything new like one of Hemingway's friends when the sun also rises came out said um he didn't write any it's it's really well written but that was literally just a weekend we had like it was just literally a weekend maybe Um, we all just need to get out more I think so yeah maybe a little less bullfighting because yeah, just not great for bulls. <laughs> oh, 
it could like lock people down, handcuff people in a lot of ways to think that we just have to be like the OG of everything. Absolutely. Especially now with social media networks, you know, there's a new one. I, another one probably started in the time that we've been chatting. Um, oh, yeah. You know, if if it's not threads, maybe it's like yarns, um, which now I need to go trademark because someone's going to do that. Um, but yeah, it, it with so many voices and so much noise, it can be really difficult to feel that you're actually creating something worthwhile or feeling like you have something to say. And it, it is still a lot of work to create art, but I think it's a lot freer for like, you know, I write content for a living. It's a, it's very freeing to know that I don't have to be a hundred percent original and talk about process automation software in a way that no one's ever done before. It's like, no, people still want the same answers and they want it in a genre, so to speak, that everybody's familiar with. A blog post is a genre. I like that. I like that take on that. Many people think that originality and novelty are essential for creativity, though. How do you respond to people who might challenge your take and argue that new ideas are absolutely critical for innovative thinking? think I think that it's not necessarily a it's not necessarily that nothing you create can be original it's more along the lines of when you're creating you have to accept that like you know as crazy original as each of our thoughts can be there there are some total of all of the experiences and things that we've encountered along the way and by definition there's nothing new it's just a unique combination of things like my experience going from being like the smart one and then I dropped out of college and it's like well what does that mean and it's like well that story is unique to me and I had unique experiences along the way but it's still the story that many 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 other people have gone through um, I think it's just a matter of twists more than anything like it's the unique viewpoint and perspective that can come to a topic as opposed to no one has ever done this before catch everybody up on your background um where you came from and what you're up to today sure so um grew up just outside of boston like if i leaned too far in the house i grew up in it was like in logan airport um <laughs> so yeah right across the haba as as people love to to say um i i don't have my boston accent nearly as much unless i'm yelling which i you know you're welcome audience i am not um so, i might let him make that happen now <laughs> <laughs> um so you know i loved I loved stories from a young age i had an insatiable curiosity of what happens next I read profusely. I, you know, I never got caught anywhere without a book. And, you know, I, I also love technology and, and built my own computers and just classic nerd stuff. And um, come college time, you know, stories were just something I enjoyed, but like I knew that there were careers in computers and money in computers. And so I followed the money to a computer science 
well, not to a degree, um, but I started with the best of intentions and I was just the worst programmer, like, like really bad. Um, <laughs> I somehow managed to get through the first couple semesters, but then, you know, this is uh, around 2009, a whole bunch of family stuff happened and then the recession and all of that. So I leave school for a bit do enough hard manual labor to realize that I wanted to go back to school. And by the time I did, I found myself an English major, um, decided that I wanted to make a living writing somehow, had no idea what that meant that, at the time. And so stumbled into a part-time job at the Boston Globe, uh, working in the sales department as like a support person from there. Um, just kind of kept taking more and more roles that focused on writing with that as my North Star. And that led me to being a in-house copywriter for a software company. And then we parted ways last year and I, I've been consulting with B2B tech brands ever since. <laughs> I love that. Um, did you find any unexpected connections between your technical background and what you're doing creatively? I have. I actually spent several years in marketing ops. So like that was as tech as you can get without having to do any actual programming. Thankfully, everything, well, Marketo requires its own sort of language skills, but um, I've always been drawn to both like technology and writing, and I've tried to marry the two along the way. Um, so I have found that the analytical, clean cut, really just like logical thinking that comes along with technology and programming languages and process and stuff like that has been extremely beneficial to both working in-house as a marketer and helping my clients. So I think people talk about it as a left brain, right brain sort of thing, but I don't know that there's that much of a, a dichotomy as much as it's a spectrum. Um, some people just gravitate towards that way of thinking and it's how they understand the world. And I'm, I guess I'm lucky enough that my experiences have left me somewhere kind of in the middle. I think, I think that's a good way to be. Yeah, a lot of the times I think content people have a difficult time, um, on the analytical, um, numbers end of things um mm -hmm. me being one of them <laughs> yeah i uh, i didn't i didn't really enjoy calculus too i was glad to leave math behind uh going over to my going over and retreating across the across the dmz to my liberal arts degree uh, i just i i questioned all of the time why as a journalism major i had to take both college algebra and statistics, I, I, to this day, you cannot explain that to me in a way that would appeal. The odds of that being silly are 100%. That's the best <laughs> I can do. Yeah. So you've worked with dozens of brands over the past five years. Can you yep. give an example of a project where you successfully combined ideas from completely different industries to create engaging content? And what did that look like? Absolutely. So Digital transformation um, is a concept that I spend a lot of time writing around. It's the concept of taking something and there's 
it, it, it gets very granular. There's digitizing, which is just moving something from analog to digital. And there's digitalizing, which is what I just said. And then there, there it's, I always mix them up. Um, there's two ideas. There's moving stuff just straight from analog to digital, but then there's also reinventing stuff along the way. And I was working for a an information management company, and they were very focused on, you know, digital transformation as a um, as an idea. Uh, that that was part and parcel with storing paper records and then moving them over into digital. Fast forward a couple of years later, and the in-house copywriter role was at a process automation company. And those two things are on way opposite ends of the spectrum for digital transformation, but the same concepts could be ported over. Um, I found that change management was a topic that connected those two companies and it, it connects really every sort of problem solving thing, but that's just a really easy example. Change management is a like standalone concept that gets applied. When you're talking about like physical records, you're talking about pieces of paper in boxes on shelves and getting people used to using more digital technologies that might not be comfortable with them. The same rules apply there as they do in um, as they do when you're talking about automating processes and you know at a high level that's like you use uh, Zapier to mm -hmm. connect every time you get an email it's saved into Google Docs or some, something like that but the same thing applies when you're changing people's behavior so it, it taking that same lens which is change management and applying it to two extremely different examples it, it's not an original thought to combine change management plus X, but changing one variable along the way makes all the difference. Even if the like core concepts stay the same, they're still applicable. I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank audience ops for producing my show. Without them, it would not be possible. I would not be doing the production. I would not have time to do the creation of any of my assets that look amazing. And if I did, they wouldn't look that good. Um, thank you again to that team. If um, anybody needs a hookup, let me know. And I am happy to make the introduction back to you. What do you think the future holds for creativity and innovation? I mean, all anyone is talking about right now is AI. Um, I think that's going to be a very, very sharp double-edged sword. I think it. I'm already getting a ton of use out of it, even as a creative, of getting it to do things that I could definitely do on my own, case in point, turning a really garbled transcript into sensical paragraphs. So that I can then um, use those and quote the person without quoting them out of turn and stuff like that. It's just, it's time saving. Where I think the risk comes, and I think that a lot of people are going to struggle with this, is that creativity is a muscle. It, it 
will atrophy if all you do is outsource your thinking mm -hmm. and you're just kind of like skidding along the surface um, of an idea. And it's only after really grappling with a concept, a theory, uh, trying to get, you know, the Lego pieces to fit together of this idea you have in your mind. It's only after putting in the work, there's no shortcut to that, um, that you can get something worthwhile. And I think for the people that continue to spend the time thinking and using AI as a tool and as a, an assist, like it, it'd be no different than bringing an assistant in as a writer, uh, a research assistant. But if you start giving the research assistant all your writing, you're not, you're not going to be doing that same sort of thinking. So, um, yeah. So I think those who use it right will flourish and be able to go faster and create more meaningful content than ever. Whereas those that fall on the dark side of that are just going to be in a like head-on race uh, to mediocrity. When it comes to your take on old ideas and combining them into in new approaches, how do you think that the changing technological landscape, like things like AI, are going to impact that? So I think there's always this inherent fear about new technology and that it's going to ruin things forever. Um, it's a cognitive bias known as declinism, where, you know, cynical, uh, cynical people that we are, we all think that it, we were the last good generation and everything's just going to get worse from there. Um, <laughs> case, in, case in point, the Romans were sitting out in, uh, <laughs> sitting out in the, the, the forum complaining about the fact that this whole writing thing was just going to stop people from memorizing stuff. And then, you know, fast forward to TV of, well, TV is going to rot their mind and kids aren't going to ever read books. And uh, fast forward to now with tablets and stuff like that, it's like, oh, kids don't know how to interact anymore or something like that. It's it every generation is convinced that they were the best and everything else after them sucks. So <laughs> I think, I think everything's going to be okay. I think it's just going to be different and the skills necessary to, to create good art and good content are just going to change over time. Can you give examples of tried and true methods continuing to have success today? and how organizations can tap into those concepts with a new, fresh take? Yeah, I think the best thing to do is to look at what's worked in the past. Um, to use a copywriting example, I mean, the AIDA formula for creating sh any length of copy, really, but like, let's just keep it simple of like an email. You've got you know, attention, interest, desire, um, and action. Like you, 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 you can use that same framework and put a new veneer over the top of it with whatever it is you're writing. You can use that as banner ad copy. You can use that as, um, you know, sales. You can, you can format an entire sales page based off of that copy. 
Um, so don't discount formula equals bad. Um, a lot of these have been tested within an inch of their life. And the ones that are sticking around are the ones that are, that they actually work. Um, there's a, there's an idea from the author and, you know, modern day philosopher, I guess, Ryan Holiday, where he, he said that he doesn't read any fiction that's less than 10 years old because like the, the cream will rise to the top and anything that's not being talked about 10 years later clearly didn't have much more than the zeitgeist. I'm going to be thinking about that for a while now. <laughs> Maybe that I will mean, help me eliminate my Amazon wish list. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, even 2% is pretty good. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not holding myself to that standard. I, I like <laughs> I like the, the process of buying books too much to give it up and put constraints on it. <laughs> we both have an issue. <laughs> yeah. So it's a habit. <laughs> I'm fine with denial. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna be probably just living in there. Oh well. <laughs> I mean, maybe it is acceptance though. Maybe I'm just yeah. like, eh. <laughs> I'm not gonna do anything about it. I'm just exactly. acknowledging I live with it. It's fine. Yeah. Step one, step one, admit you have a problem. Step two, just string of question marks. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. Um, are there exactly. any tools or techniques that you find helpful for stimulating creativity and generating new combinations of ideas? Uh, there's a couple. Um, one is read something completely outside of your norm. Um, you know, we all, as marketers, we read kind of a lot of the same stuff in a little content bubble. And it's great because it keeps you informed of what's going on. But there's a concept from, um, I believe his name's David Epstein. He wrote this book called Range. Essentially, uh, highly recommend reading it. But the, the, the core idea that he focuses in on is if you expose yourself to more sources of information, then you are going to be better at solving problems. Uh, and it doesn't matter what sort of problems those are um, or where you get those resources from. Um, so I would say, yeah, step one would be go outside of your bubble. Step two is to flip whatever it is you're doing on its head. Um, so like, uh, takes sales and marketing is a really easy example. If you find that you're running into trouble looking at a problem or a campaign, or um, let's say it's breaking into a new industry sector, if you're having trouble with that, then start looking at it like a salesperson. Like how would, if, if I'm a marketer and I'm looking to create campaigns, what like what questions would my salespeople do? So it's it's a similar idea to putting a, a new lens in front of the camera to look at something in a different light. Um, I just totally, totally uh, made a lot of photographers mad because I've mixed my my camera metaphor there, but I'm a copywriter, <laughs> not a designer. <laughs> and then three is talk to people and really listen. Um, 
I'm in the middle of writing a book right now on B2B influencer marketing, which is something that I've witnessed as an audience member and a fellow marketer, but I've never done before. And so I, I am just going into these conversations with a bunch of really good questions and having a really good question will always help like sharpen the idea and the uh, originality of what it is you're working on. Um, it's a piece of content. A really good question can get you like the core argument that's a, a unique perspective or at least a combination of perspectives that's unique. Um, yeah, so talking to people is is probably what I would say is the third one. And fourth is just time, giving something time, whether that's spending more time researching or spending time away from that problem to just kind of mull it over. Either of those options work. So I guess that's 4A and 4B. Um, mm -hmm. And because I like even numbers, we're going to leave the list at four. All right. <laughs> um, which writers um, inspire you? I know you love reading, so it's going to be tough, oh. like picking picking your favorite kid. Um, just I, I have described donating books that I no longer need mm -hmm. in my library as like dropping kids off at the orphanage. Uh, my girlfriend did not like the did not like <laughs> like the way that I described it, but but you know it, it it's true. It hurts. Um, so there's a group of writers that I consider like my writing models um and i i think of i think of all people at, like how can this person be a model for me rather than oh this person is my hero um so like one of my models is uh, albert camus um the french existentialist writer he wrote plays he was a journalist he was everything he just wrote words and ideas he was also kind of a uh, philanderer and uh, I mean, he was French, so he smoked as much as any French person, but he smoked too much. Um, mm -hmm. Then you've got the Jack London's and F. Scott Fitzgerald's, the alcoholic womanizers. You've got Hemingway, who struggled mightily with his masculine identity and, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. That, like... I look to so many writers for what can I take and then leave all the rest. So, um, yeah, I would say Camus, London, uh, Jack London, um, Ernest Hemingway, Fitzgerald, Maya Angelou's one of my favorites, oh, yeah. um, and Simone Weil uh, or Wheel um, are, yeah, they're, oh, and Simone de Beauvoir. She's great. She and uh, she and Sartre had a, a heck of a a life together. Um, one I'd rather read about than live. That's for sure. <laughs> okay, give it to me straight. What is your take on writer's block? Oh, it it doesn't exist. It's it, I. It doesn't mean that there's not resistance. It doesn't mean that you're struggling to write, but writer's block exists just the same way as runner's block exists uh i think i have it, that oh i've had runner's <laughs> block for years um i went and saw a doctor about it and they just said 
go run. And I was like, oh, that was my problem. Um, <laughs> but like with writer's block, it comes down to a couple of things. Um, writer's block is just, you didn't do enough research. You just don't know the subject well enough. And as writers, we sit down at a keyboard and we think, oh, I'm a writer. I should just be able to write about this. But I think the number one problem I run into anytime I'm not clear on what I'm going to say is, is lack of research. Um, number two, and this is more for me, as opposed to some like right by the seat of your pants sort of writers, if I don't have a good enough outline, it means that I don't have my argument kind of ingrained in my head. And I know that each sentence will follow up on the next in creating that argument, whether this this is a chapter in a book or an email, each line is continuing to build that argument in the reader's mind. Um, three is just physiological. Did you get enough sleep? Do you need some food? Do you need a snack? Do you need a nap? Um, usually I need a nap. That's usually the thing for me. Um, power naps are glorious. Um, I think those are kind of the three ways that I would solve writer's block, but I don't, I don't believe it exists. Do you think that people don't have enough experiences maybe too, that they get blocked on because they just need to like get out of their environment more or? Oh yeah. And there, there's, I, I kind of would bucket that under physiological of like, you just need to kind of get out of well I, I guess there's two get out of uh things that i have in mind one is literally maybe you need to get out of the house which i str i struggle <laughs> with in the work from home life um but the other is to get out and get more experience um just get out of the rote of the day to day do something do something different take a different path home uh just go and sit in a different coffee shop, right in a different place. A change of scenery is, is another really helpful one. That's always been effective for me too. Yeah. I find too, like if I don't have anybody that I could go to talk to about a topic, then it might be that I just need to go do whatever it is. Um, but oh, you yeah. can't, I can't always do that. Like if I'm going to be covering again, like bullfighting, I'm not going to go do that. But no. <laughs> there are things that I could just maybe just, you know, get out of my comfort zone occasionally and just, you know, go live it up a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, there's no shortage of ways to learn a subject now that might not be just, I mean, I'm a reader. So like I learn mm -hmm. about things best from a book, but whatever media is your choice, whether it's podcasts, whether it's like a YouTube video, whether it's a like a film, like a narrative film or documentary, um, just finding a way to like, just kind of chip away at that subject just a little bit more. It's kind of like mining in that way. Can you share any exciting um, projects or collaborations that you're on now? Just what are, yeah. we, what are you doing today? Absolutely. So right now, uh, in addition to, you know, working with B2B tech brands on content strategy, copywriting, um, basically anything that involves words and the application therein. Um, I'm also working on uh, my first book with Nick Bennett on uh, B2B influencer marketing. 
and uh, yeah, it's going to be you know uh, about how well. So B two B influencer marketing is a thing, but it is so far behind the B two C counterparts that there's not, not much knowledge. There's just kind of tactics and things that have sort of worked. And so what Nick and I are doing is compiling all of these best practices and uh, talking to people that are making these sorts of programs work and like getting them all together and building a framework that uh, marketing teams can use to, you know, expand an influencer marketing program or build one or just understand what that channel can do for your organization. How deep are you into that now? Uh, 4,000 words. Um, yeah. So only, uh, 76,000 to go. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm sure I, I'm trying not to, uh, I'm trying to be more like Sisyphus and just focus on the rock rolling up the hill as opposed <laughs> to what's at the top of the hill. Cause it's, it's just one word after another, but yeah, we're, we're, we've talked with 10, uh, 10 different leaders in the space and we've got another 10 like slated for the rest of the summer. So lots of talking and uh, lots of interviewing, which is quickly becoming my favorite part of writing a book. I always liked interviewing it the best yeah. too. <laughs> All <laughs> right. I ask everybody who comes on my show to debunk an unpopular opinion. I mean, writer's block. That's, that was a good one. That was a, that was I might've taken one. that from you. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, debunk an unpopular opinion. Oh, uh, I'm so sick of the insert here led growth. There is no like whatever led growth. It's just tactics that are leading to sustainable revenue. Like it, it's not anything leading the charge because uh, case in point, product-led growth. Everyone's like product-led growth is the secret to everything. But product-led growth, like product-led growth doesn't mean you don't have sales. Like if Microsoft, oh no, the bet that's, yeah. Micro, if Microsoft is going to go buy something that they don't know, they don't make themselves yet, they're not going to go and do a freemium trial. Like Bill Gates isn't going to be sitting there typing in his credit card information. No, that they're, they're going to like procurement is going to talk to a salesperson and like, it's still necessary. So I think these sorts of X led growth are a great way to conceptualize and put a framework around. This is where we're focusing our marketing efforts right now. And that can be great in an organization where marketing is maybe not as like well understood or it's not as mature as uh, other industries, even just having a marketing team. But at the same time, um, it's kind of like writing a novel where like you have to do a million things at the same time. Um, like you have to be really good at characterization. You have to be really good at scenery. You have to be really good at like, uh, including the senses uh great dialogue you have to be doing all of these things at once but like most of the authors that you think of there's usually one defining thing that they're really good at and it's 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 kind of the same thing with with these x-led growth things is 
they are effective and it's not to say that they're not but i think it's it's sort of like that um uh re vision impaired people like looking at an elephant and one is pulling on its tail saying it's a rope and one is like pulling on its ear saying oh it's a tapestry and one is um i don't know holding his leg and he's like it's a tree trunk like it, <laughs> it it's it's just putting a label on the same large beast. All right. Well, where can people go if they want to find out more about you or just connect with you? Um, LinkedIn is usually where I'm hanging out. You can usually find me in the comment section, making a pop culture reference or seven. Um, and then you can also uh, check out the creator circle. Um It'll be in the show notes. I, I can't remember the exact address of it, but we've uh, we, we just moved over to Beehive. So I lost my easy to remember URL. But yeah, the, the creator circle is a biweekly newsletter where we're talking about all the things that will eventually make it into our book. All right. Well, I'll make sure that we get that link from you and put it in the show notes. Thank you again for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks for listening to Unpopular Opinion. This episode was produced by Audience Ops. If you're looking for help launching a podcast, Audience Ops handles all the legwork so you can focus on providing the subject matter expertise. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow Ashley's show on Spotify, Apple, or YouTube.